If the Grammys weren't white enough for you, here give play-by-play of the 2017 Oscar announcements of Best Picture are our correspondents, Lady J and Bariqua Boy. Okay, it's the moment we've been waiting for. Best picture for the 2017 Oscars. Faye Dunaway, Hollywood's grandma, stands in a white dress, lovingly stroking the blind Warren Beatty. Beatty, after seasons of not only warming the bench, but also his bed with his 13,000 lady friends, is back in the game, ready to deliver the verdict if the Oscars are honoring the best picture of 2017 or the best slice of Wonder Bread. He opens the red envelope and tries to read it. He's confused or maybe he's having a stroke oh god he's having a stroke nah he's just Faye looks like she's about to give him the hands and says you're impossible through a forced smile Warren hands the envelope to Faye and without hesitation she says la la land White people and John Legend war with applause while people of color silently golf clap. The white man behind La La Land and John Legend approach the podium as a voiceover reminds us for the 14th time that it has broken every Oscar record possible. Because what could be more incredible than the same whitewashed, cliched industry musical with actors who can't sing? La La Land producer Jordan Horowitz takes to the podium to give his thank yous. To my kind, generous, talented, beautiful, blue-eyed wife and creative partner Julia Hart, you've inspired me to to become the man I am right now, and more importantly, the man I'm still becoming. There's a lot of love in this room, and let's use it to create and champion bold and diverse work. Did he really just say the whole blue-eyed part? Yep, but don't worry. His Aryan preferences are okay because his film is the champion of diverse work. You know, the timeless story of how a white man saved jazz. <gasps> oh, snap! Important-looking men with headsets speed walk on stage. Producer Fred Berger announces, we lost, by the way. Warren Beatty tries to make his way back to the mic, but is intercepted by Jordan. Oh, God! Jordan announces that Moonlight has, in fact, won Best Picture. Everyone stares in disbelief, thinking he bowed to Regina George that Oscar like Adele and give half of it to Moonlight. Jordan exclaims, this is not a joke. Even though this whole situation is a joke. The camera zooms in on the Best Picture card, and it, in fact, does say... Moonlight! Yes, yes, Moonlight wins Best Picture. Not only the first film with a gay protagonist to win for Best Picture, but the first film with a black protagonist who isn't a slave or driving Miss Daisy. The whole cast of Moonlight rises and approaches the podium. This is a crazy, beautiful turn of events, people. Barry Jenkins is beaming. Crowds are roaring. All of the nice white people that were cheering so loud for La La Land clap even louder to calm down their white guilt, thinking, of course we were progressive enough to choose Moonlight. Oh, what's this? Jimmy Kimmel tells the La La Land producers that they should keep it anyway? Foul. Oh, wait, there's more. His dumb mouth keeps moving. Now I know he did not just blame Steve Harvey. He tells the La La Land producers, I want to see you get an Oscar anyway. Why can't we just give out a whole bunch of them? Because apparently 14 nominations wasn't enough compared to Moonlight's three wins. Horowitz intercepts once again and shuts Kimmel up. Quote, I'm going to be very proud to give this to my friends from Moonlight. Finally, we get to hear the beautiful creative team of Moonlight speak. Interception! Warren Beatty decides his explanation of his screw-up is more important. Finally, finally, Barry Jenkins and Adele Romanski, a Moonlight producer, take their rightful place at the mic. Romanski says, I hope that it's inspiring to people like black boys and brown girls and other folks watching at home who feel marginalized and who take some inspiration from seeing this beautiful group of artists helmed by this amazing talent, my friend, Barry Jenkins, standing up here on this stage accepting this top honor. Thank you. This is awesome. This is making history at the Oscars. How did this happen? All we know for certain, Lady J, is that somewhere Steve Harvey is yelling, 
Ain't as easy as it looks, is it, a-holes? Welcome back to WRCT 88.3 FM. I am your host, Ariel. What's up, y'all? I'm Daryl, and this is CNT, a millennial news broadcast devoted to bringing you the sarcasm you deserve. We have a special gift for you for that midterm season. In the hopes of ending February in the highest of hopes, we are releasing a bonus episode devoted to the celebration of Black History Month. You can find this special episode on our iTunes, which includes My Spoken Word, Beyonce's remixes, and more. And what better way to show some love to your favorite fan millennials than checking out our latest episodes on iTunes and clicking subscribe. So stay tuned to CNT. Politically aware, but not always correct. Before we get into the main story of the day, here's a little message from our sponsors. Are you a woman working in a technical field? Are you sick and tired of hearing, hey, sweetheart, can I get a coffee? And, well, you don't look like an engineer. Do you ever think, I earned that degree fair and square, but Daryl from Data Analytics keeps staring at my breasts? You're not alone, and there is help. Be respected in the workplace with one of the guys' personal shopping. Our patented Tynal Nine-Step plan will totally reinvent your look. One of the guys' personal shoppers will break into your home, track down every last skirt and pair of heels, and dump the lot straight into the nearest garbage chute, where forbidden things go. Once your closet has been purged of all vestiges of humanity, our shoppers will replace your incinerated clothes with a single pair of classic blue, high-waisted, straight-leg jeans. Believe us, you'll only need the one. And we didn't forget about those breasts that Daryl from Data Analytics loves so much. Our shoppers will find you the best deals on free promotional t-shirts. They'll scour every job, fair, booth, and convention aisle for the most adorable shapeless sacks featuring company logos to disarm your bazookas. But it's not enough just to dress like your favorite bar is Apple Genius. Lipstick and flowing locks could clue your, your co-workers to your enemy status. At one of the guys' personal shopping, we believe that the only makeup a woman in tech needs is a fine dusting of sweat and Cheeto crumbs. Our shoppers will help you achieve that coveted haven't showered in days look by forcibly shutting off your apartment's water every day but Tuesday. Avoid Daryl from Data Analytics on Tuesday. One of the guys' personal shopping recognizes that the only way for a woman to succeed in a male-dominated field is to downplay her femininity. So for just $19.63 a week, our personal shoppers will transform you into a sack-wearing, BO-stinking, cheetah-crusted professional. One of the guys' personal shopping, because if your bosses don't want to sleep with you, maybe they'll promote you. And if they forget you're a woman, they can't underpay you. Welcome back, CNTs. Our main story today is a topic that we here in the studio and at Carnegie Mellon are very familiar with, women in the tech industry. Now, there have been a couple of articles floating around regarding everyone's problematic fave, Uber. Accounts keep pouring in about sexual harassment and discrimination within the company, but there's one thing that's for sure. This is not the end of it. And Uber is by far not the worst and only offender. Here's the story. Susan Fowler, an engineer at Uber, reported multiple instances of sexual harassment to HR, something she describes as being hard to do because she was one of the few women in the company, and on top of that, reported her own manager. Fast forward through the year, and she finds out that this was not the first time that this manager had been reported, which makes you think, what is human resources even there for in the first place? Bragging rights? I have no idea. No, really, I have no idea what they do. Looks like they don't either. And this is nothing new when it comes to Uber or tech companies in general. If you read closely into Fowler's article, she details that women are dropping out of the tech industry faster than RuPaul's death drop. It makes sense, too. 
When women report sexual harassment, they are well aware of the consequences that it will have on their job. Rumors fly, people start talking, and of course, there's the negative performance reviews that follow. All in the name of trying not to be propositioned during the course of their work hours. And yes, we're talking about Uber because it's relevant, but other companies are still not balanced in the way that they hire women. Google's leadership breakdown comes out to be 75% male and only 25% women. And that's one of the best stats we could find in terms of gender equality in tech companies. If women don't feel like their opinions are valued, then they're not going to break into fields like computer science and engineering. And that's assuming that women will get hired for these jobs in the first place. Take your pick of testimonials. Women are routinely regarded as getting the job because of their looks, which we all know is not the case. How do looks play into how well someone can code? In general, women have to work at least twice as hard to be considered as esteemed as their male counterpart. But I digress. When you look at the numbers, only 18% of computer science degrees are held by women worldwide. Let's call a spade a spade. Computer science is a boys club. And we're not even talking about the challenges faced by women of color and the LGBTQIA community as well. Those numbers are even lower. Yeah, let's talk numbers. So first off, women in general hold 25% of computer science jobs. That breaks down into the following numbers. White women, 18%. Then you have Asian women, 5%. African-American women, 3%. And Hispanic women, 1%. Is this really the best we can do? Even here at Carnegie Mellon, we're not that much better. Only 30% of computer science majors are women. And while that's an increase from the national average, it's certainly not the case in other technical schools. It's barely an increase when you look at worldwide stats. While there's no shortage of young girls interested in science, technology, engineering, and math, keeping them there seems to be the greater challenge. That is why organizations like Girls Who Code, which reaches out to all women regardless of race or economic background, is so important. The earlier you instill a love of computers in young women and the confidence that they are just as capable as boys to succeed at what they love, the more likely they are to continue with it in the future. By no means is this an end-all solution, though. Retention, as we've seen, is a huge issue when it comes to the women who actually are in these jobs. While all these stats are pretty depressing, I mean, what else isn't these days... We had a great conversation with the curator of the Hacking, Modding, and Remixing as a feminist protest exhibit, which was just presented at the Miller Gallery, in which we talked about using male-dominated tech industries as a means to make space for marginalized voices. We interviewed Margaret Cox, who is the assistant director of the Miller Art Gallery at CMU, and Angela Washko, a visiting professor of art, who is the curator of the exhibit. Let's take a listen to what they had to say. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. <laughs> now, I know that this form of feminist protest was an unfamiliar form of performance art to me before I went to the Miller Art Gallery, especially given that I, as a woman of color, have never necessarily felt included in uh, the world of gaming and technology. So it introduced me to a, a unique lens of bringing marginalized voices to the forefront. Can you first tell our listeners a bit more about this exhibit? Sure. Hacking, modding, remixing, a feminist protest, which I will just refer to in the future as HMR. Yeah, there's like <laughs> so many. So <laughs> the show started as the idea of trying to take these things that women were excluded from being able to be creative producers of television and film and, mm. and electronics. Women as a response to the exclusion of their voices in those industries, opting to take the products of those industries and insert themselves and their own critical commentary onto them. And then 
realizing that the exclusion from those in- industries hasn't really changed that much. We, we mm-hmm. now have a booming tech industry, but places like Facebook and Twitter, Apple and so on are, are still not really hiring that many women into creative leadership positions. And also thinking about how much more women of color and women from the LGBTQIA community are affected by this. Like it's not just white women. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's even more likely that women of color and, and queer women are affected by um, the biases of these industries. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was so important to also include works by people from a, a really wide range of perspectives in the exhibition. The timing of this exhibition has been really important. Oh, yeah. You know, Angela's curation and all the artists, incredible artists in the show, have really broadened the discussion, a much-needed discussion we needed here on campus and, and, and nationally. <laughs> the, the show also came out as a, a kind of response to my first year of working at CMU and, and being mm-hmm. kind of around this kind of space of technological innovation and mm-hmm. wanting to curate something that created space for maybe some feedback to mm-hmm. some of that technological innovation. Not that it's like calling CMU out or anything, but but that it's like, you know, it's trying to have in, maybe, yeah. a, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little but yeah, bit. It's, it's trying to situate itself in dialogue with that at like this kind of site of like technological innovation. I'm using air quotes, but you can't see it. So I thought I'd announce that. One thing I found so fascinating about so many of the works featured in this exhibit, the distinctly comedic tone of many of the pieces, uh, which Mm -hmm. is quite familiar to what we try to do here with CNT. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a feminist, femillennial news broadcast uh, devoted to sarcasm and (laughs) using comedy to make things a little more digestible. How does that influence your work? But yeah, I mean, using comedy as an accessibility tool is something that I think artists have been thinking about for a long time as a way to kind of bridge the, the gap between what's perceived as being artwork that's quote unquote for the art world versus mm-hmm. like art that's trying to communicate with broader audiences. Mm-hmm. And humor is definitely a way I think that that artists have tried to to reach broader audiences that might not see their their critiques otherwise. There is also an, a, a screening and performance program that um, I think a lot of the people who went to the show didn't necessarily know about. Which, in which I specifically presented performance artists making performances for video where they were um, inserting themselves into um, television, whether through editing or by actually getting cast on the shows themselves. And we had Anne Hirsch do this live performance about how she got onto reality television, Anne which Hirsch. she did. Narcissister, who's actually oh, yeah. going to be giving a visiting artist lecture at CMU next week. She does these just incredible feats with her body, pulling all sorts of things from her vagina. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes. I mean, that's a, that's the, that's a type plug. of artist I can but, get uh, behind. She, yeah. she managed to get, yeah, right. she managed to get onto America's Got Talent and, yes. um, you know, had to change change up her program a little bit for that context. So, oh, yeah. It's a bummer. But yeah, CNTs so for CNT. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Angela and Margaret. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Margaret and Angela. One awesome way women can fight back is by literally rewriting their history. This Saturday at the Carnegie Museum of Art, tech, art, and feminism will be coming together in a three-layer cake of dopeness. Hosted by the national organization Art Plus Feminism, the Wikipedia 
Wikipedia Edit-a-thon is a full day devoted to improving, rewriting, and creating pages of the world's favorite online encyclopedia to better represent women. According to Wikipedia's Gender Gap Task Force, women represent only 15% of Wikipedia's 1.5 million biographies. But then again, over 85% of people who edit Wikipedia pages are dudes, so talk about bias. Can you even imagine how many amazing women Wikipedia has forgotten about? How many <laughs> hidden figures might still be rediscovered? There have been more than 280 edit-a-thons across the world to date, and we're psyched to participate here in Pittsburgh. Don't worry, you don't need to be a technical whiz to join in on the fun. God knows I'm not. Anyone can edit a page, and there'll be experts on the scene to help you out. Maybe after a few more edit-a-thons, our professors will finally let us cite Wikipedia. Mm, don't count on it. That's it for today, guys. We'd like to take a moment to shout out to the fire writers and contributors who made today's show happen. Daryl Bright, Alicia Etnoff, Ariel Hoffmeyer, Erica Jackson, Katie Pine, Javier Spivey, Ariel Zucker, and Mama Z. Find us on iTunes under CNT and catch us next Tuesday at 5 on WRCT 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Ariel. And I'm Daryl. And this is CNT, reminding you to wake, wake up and, and stay woke. woke. Later.